Igawau acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. everyone. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show we deliver where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the time before we come. Anything said over the next 60 minutes may stand up in a court of law. And any argument, oh well, definitely will hold up any argument you find yourself in with a film school shoot. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, and nondescript. So, let's talk about Toilet and Cream. <laughs> Unplanned. Uh, just, just a heads up before I do this um, intro. This will have spoilers in it, so you know, now's your last chance to get out. But uh, apparently, we take the intro not seriously anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Released on the nineteenth of April, nineteen seventy-three, Soylent Green, also known by its Ecuadorian release title, twenty twenty-two. But if there was no internet, is a dystopian sci-fi cop movie starring Charlton Heston. In a world that is overpopulated, depleted of resources and overheating, the film follows Thorn, a sketchy cop with a penchant for high kicks, who is tasked with solving the murder of a high-profile rich man. Unfortunately, the murder goes much higher up on the social ladder than first thought, as he begins to uncover a conspiracy relating to the state of the world and the world's food supply. The film is estimated to have been made on a budget of $4 million, and is also said to have made $3.6 million in rentals. The film clocks in with a runtime of 97 minutes, and you know what? It won't leave you wondering, is Soylent Green, people? There you go. That's our first and biggest spoiler. (laughs) The only relevant spoiler. Yeah. We just watched the trailer for this film on YouTube, just to get, you know, back in the mode of this film. And it's probably the most giveaway trailer you'll ever see. So, if you're keen on watching this movie, well, if you're not keen on watching this movie, if you want to know how the movie goes, just watch the trailer. And it's about everything. It takes that every like emotional reward you might get from the film is in the trailer. Yeah. So that there's only like one thing that's maybe relevant left in the film. They ask rhetorical questions, which they then answer <laughs> in the trailer. And yeah, any secret is right down the drain. Yeah. Um, so this is a f- funny one. But why don't you talk about why we watched this film? Yeah. So now that we've cut the how you doing segment of this podcast we're getting right into it and i couldn't wait to get into the soylent green so yeah the the reason that we're watching this film is because for university my film studies i have to i'm doing a sound assignment where we um need to set picture to uh make basically like make a picture thing and then do the sound for it and so picture thing like a slideshow of pictures well it doesn't have to be that we can also do animation and then, like, do the soundtrack for animation. Or um, you can film a doco about sound or something like that. Um, but the focus is on sound. So then one of the options is to do a, a series of photos that tell a story and then do the sound for it, a la La Jete, which is a famous sci-fi movie from the 70s, which is just pi- basically pictures with sounds. And it's, a film, it's the film that inspired 12 Monkeys, the Bruce Willis film. Anyway, so I'm Googling oh, good examples of um, photo movies and it came up, this film, it suggested the intro of this film, which is a great place to start. Very good intro, right? Cool yeah, intro. It's cool. 
it, it's um, basically it's a sequence of photos. Well, it's it's like a, a a timeline of human development where there are farmers in America set to some like nice music, and then it like progresses through the industrial era and stuff until it gets to like the sixties and seventies where the music speeds up and gets a bit herky jerky, and the photos start come flying in faster. And it's basically suggesting immediately that the world is overpopulating and continuing to overpopulate. I think the other part about why we watch this is that I think we should talk about the plot. I think that this is probably a film that most people, I mean, you've either watched it or you're just listening to this because you're, you know, bored and going through all the pod. Oh, the third category, you're a big... Uh, Solent Green yeah. fan. <laughs> no, no. You've either, wa- either watched this and you're wondering why there aren't more podcasts on <laughs> Silent Green. Uh <laughs> You're listening because you're bored or three because you're a big Ego Hour fan. Right. And we thank you. But if you're a big Ego Hour fan, you watch the film anyway, right? Hopefully. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have to watch it? some the... people just want to listen to us talk? Well, we'll <laughs> Wilbur, we see you. We, we appreciate you. Um, yes. At least one person does that. Yeah. But drew the line at Chili Peppers. Yes, apparently. Which has been a mildly successful pod. Yeah. For some reason. So that's the big news of the pod today. <laughs> we uh, apparently, Good Brother Check the Views. It's trending upwards. People love chilies. Let's just say we might be sitting on a bit of a uh, game stock <laughs> right here with this podcast. And this will be a reference that will have aged yeah, terribly extremely <laughs> in two weeks <laughs> nah, when this comes out. Yeah, we'll see. Um, the other reason, the reason I was interested in watching this film is the plot of the film, mm. which Tom mentioned before. So basically, it's a sci-fi film that came out in the 70s based on a book that also came out in the 70s, I think. In 66. Oh, it came out even Inspired earlier. by a book. Inspired by a book. Because it, by it has the same... Old mate Harry Harrison. Harry Harrison. Harrison. That is an author's name. And I don't know. To me, it just seemed like a pretty big deal that there was a movie or a book and the concept is so very relevant and takes place next year. Yeah. So, it happens in 2022. Overpopul- overpopulated world, uh, dwindling resources and global warming, essentially. Yeah. Which the first thing you think about is like, wow, we've known about global warming since that. That is... No excuses. That is nuts. And it's been... It's significant enough of a concept that they'd made a movie about it. Mm. And it's like a science fiction person went like, this sounds like a thing. Yeah. The first thing that like jumps out to you even talking about that is that it's 50 years ago. Like, that's unreal. Yeah. What... Even the fact that we don't know the actors. Like, I know that Charlton Heston was huge in like the golden age of Hollywood, that sort of era. And he's in the... um, the Ten, Ten Commandments, Ben Hur. Yeah. So he's Planet of the Apes. Hugely famous for anyone not born <laughs> in the last 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who would this be today? Actually, I had a bit on this. Uh, it wouldn't be today, but if it was made, it must be even 10 years later. It, it, he had big Harrison Ford vibes. Yeah, I can imagine that. And even the plot. Like, See, I wonder if this is actually a really influential sci-fi movie because I thought there were a lot of through lines that seemed familiar in other sci-fi movies. I thought this mm. had some big uh, Blade Runner vibes. Yeah. Between the relationship between the cop and the world, well, the, the, the main character in the world. Having just read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the Blade Runner book, yeah, he's like a, a person who's just like trying to understand what his role is in the grind of being a cop in a post-dystopian sort of world. Then also to the like the forces behind big business. I think those. I think ecological disaster films go hand in hand with big business. Always big character, and then also the weird role of females in this film. Yeah. And by weird role, I mean like non-existent. <laughs> well, existent as furniture. 
Which, well, yeah. It's just, I don't know. This film is, I mean, we're going to get And he says furniture it. because they describe the female characters as furniture. In this because film. they come with the property that you, yeah. the apartments that you're in. Hmm. And it's just very weirdly sexist for some reason. And it doesn't serve the plot. Yeah. Or like what the themes are whatsoever. It's just weird that there's a thinking man's piece, hypothetic. Well, it is a thinking man's piece. <laughs> like, you know, talking about something so positive to portray on screen like overpopulation and you know condemning the idea of being greedy and resource heavy using a lot of resources and then just like dropping the ball on something else but um, heavily dropping the ball like yeah apparently dropping apparently the ball. The, I, like i'm not familiar with the book obviously but apparently that the film took extreme liberties with the book um even down to the whole point of the film the selling point <laughs> being that uh, anyway, so Soylent Green is the food that everyone has to eat because there's no food and no resources left. Yes. And allegedly, it's it comes from like plankton, plankton from the ocean, yeah. and everyone just eats it and it's in short supply. Blah blah blah. But uh, people love it. They love it. They love it because it's food and they survive. Yeah. It's always a big point. And um, and then obviously the big reveal of you listening to Tom at the start is that Soylent Green is actually made out of people, yes. which is what the whole film. Wrestle its, you know, stock on. If we're continuing with that GameStop analogy, and <laughs> we weren't, <laughs> and that's not even in the book. So it's like, okay, what did you get? The overpopulation author, and so, yeah, global warming. Well, the author, you know, because I feel like sci-fi, particularly maybe, like I'm not super familiar with sci-fi. You and Ben probably, our older brother probably has the best idea of everyone about like, you know. But I feel like sci-fi is very much a a method for talking about society generally. Yes. If you talk about something maybe like Slaughterhouse Five, which is kind of a sci fi sort of thing, which is obviously about things bigger than sci fi. It's about the war and about mm. the human condition and stuff like that. And so it's like, okay, what are you trying to say with this storyline? Because I was, you know, here like there's a plot like this and it's set in twenty twenty two and it's from the seventies. Then the book's from the sixties. It's like Fuck, I'm ready to get my mind blown about the lack of progress we've had mm. over, you know, and I'm ready to like have like yeah. a really good reflection session. And I kind of thought like we were gearing up. It seemed like a home run. 2022 yeah. dystopian sci-fi sort of thriller. It sounded like, how can you, how can you drop the ball? Yeah. And they did. <laughs> no, uh, but, but I thought we were going to have like, you know, an Ethan Hawke uh, first reformed number two, like... Not one of our most listened to pods, but definitely one yeah, of my favorite pods. Yeah, just a big, pods, big so plug. Listen if, to first reform. I mean, but if you listen to Soylent Green, you're not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners who are, who we want to appeal to have probably already listened to it. Exactly. And yeah. then there's no one listening to this. Where pod we get anyway. existential about climate change, yeah. but it's, yeah, I, I think we're, I want to keep doing this. This will be like a subtle, just like we're going to go back and review Harry Potter. I think we're going to keep doing movies about climate change <laughs> and talking about our anxieties. Yeah, it's the only way I can deal with it. Laugh in it. Charlton Heston throwing karate kicks. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, cannibalism is made up for this movie. We'll, I guess, get into more like what that actually means yeah. in, you know, the, the kind of moral ideas of the film. But basically, yeah, women just get at the shit end of the stick and it's... For no reason. For no reason. Mm. It's not even reference like, ah, oh, you know, it's so overpopulated, women... You know, they fell to the back of the line or something like that. Yeah, and it's not to do with, like, population or something like that. It's just implying. It's like a world where they're like, wouldn't this be neat? Well, I don't know. To me, it reads like this really gross way of, like, you know, the food getting vegetables and and having steak and stuff like that is such a luxury. And then they're just, like, chucking women in as, like, this 
this luxury good that only rich people get. <laughs> it's like, hey, take it for you watching this film in the 70s. Appreciate it while you can. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just really gross. And our main character doesn't really make you like him. <laughs> he's he- kind of like the worst. Like, he's not even an anti-hero because an anti-hero makes you like them for something. Like, they're going against the system in an interesting way or they're like fundamentally flawed like this dude's just pretty flawed like yeah there's not much to like about the main character yeah except for maybe his outfit which is pretty hilarious that they had a big movie star walking around in like a jacket and a cap <laughs> the whole movie did he have a bit of a belly like a beer gut or was that just me yeah like- i don't know he looks a little bit like um what's his name the ultimate anti-hero walter white what's his name brian cranston yeah i saw a little really? bit of his face yeah Plus, I also, I couldn't help but think seeing the scene at their apartment and being like, this is pretty good, <laughs> considering how overpopulated and bad the world is. You guys have their a apartment nice setup. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some good scenes in this, definitely, like, in regards to the overpopulation vibe. Um, like, when he has to climb down the stairs and jump over people's yeah, heads. Yeah, the and set design's pretty good. I yeah. like it. Um, even the, the futuristic lounge that the guy lives at is pretty cool. Mm. Um, what What is sort of... What's lovable about this film is that it's just people imagining what the future's like and then just having no idea that the phone is like little, the portable phone and then the iPhone and then the internet is coming. I like that she's the name of the woman is Lozenic. What's her name? Uh, Cheryl. Sh- Cheryl. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cheryl. <laughs> and she, there's a scene where at the start where she's like playing some video game thing. And it's like meant to be like super futuristic, but I don't know. It looks really cool. Well, it's like asteroids, or there were. It was a game, and mm. people it talked about it. Um, but it's sort of funny that even the creators are like, "Nah, this is the the peak of video games." Um, like at least you know in Star Wars how they play space chess and it looks cool and it's like, mm. oh, it's animated and they move and stuff. Surely they had bigger visions for what video games could have looked like. But I guess you're going like. You know, the world sucks, so they didn't have time to figure out video games. Yeah. Anyway, th- th- yeah, I don't know. That stuff is always endearing, I think. And we talked about it when we kind of did Interstellar the other week, mm. where it's like future space. is future in space is always, it's always a good look to make it look like they thought it would look in the 70s and 80s and 60s, you know, mm. like. And you do it now, like, mm. because all those films were like the first, they, not the first, but like the famous ones to predict the future. It's definitely a vibe you'd lean into now as like a uh, a meta reference or something like that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that that's the thing that holds up. I like the sets and stuff in this film mm-hmm. and they're cool. And I actually really like the outdoor scenes. Um, so they're trying to, well, they're creating a world that's too hot and the way they do it is all the outdoor scenes are shot with like a green tint on. And so I... It's because they reference it like it's a greenhouse. They say, oh, the ozone's a greenhouse. And it's cool. I think it's a cool touch and you could get away with doing something like that now for sure. Yeah. It's funny. I couldn't help like thinking throughout the film like, I wonder what everyone who is in this movie thinks about, the, you know, those of them who are still alive. Like, what do they believe in climate change? <laughs> they or must they, not. Right? Or are they climate deniers? Like, I forgot like... what it was, but Charlton Heston was cancelled for something. Like okay. racism yeah. or sexism or something. Yeah. 
Well, so, I mean, if he's playing that in his movies all the time, then, yeah, you know. I'm How not saying we... that he gets that from his movies. I'm sure he's just pretty much horrible in his own regard. Or whatever. <laughs> I'm just saying it's like the John Wayne thing. It's bad enough cool. that this is like a film, and that's how they think it's okay to, you know. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, you go back in movies, and women just get hit, hit as well. Yeah. Like normally they get backhand across the face, but and I think that happens in this film. Oh yeah. But they also like punch a woman in the stomach, mm. and it's like tragic because they play it like what are you supposed to watch that and think yeah i don't think but and like it's the guy who services the apartment who comes in and does it he has like the weirdest tantrum ever and just like starts beating this umpa looking motherfucker (laughs) starts beating up these female guests his character makes no sense yeah i don't know and then like your hero in this like acts like you know, kind of defends these women, like like tells that guy to leave or whatever. But then, like, why does he do it? Doesn't give a <laughs> shit about them that they're actually like, you know, he doesn't check on them or anything like that. He just ignores them, and it's like, yeah, he only shows up and wait. There, so he, the guy showed up while he was in the bedroom. Yeah. So he he goes. <laughs> so he shows up at this apartment because he says he needs to question the woman, which means I'm coming to have sex with her. Yeah, and she's okay with it as well. Like they just go into the bedroom. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense why. This woman, even if she is like meant to be furniture, this guy isn't a tenant there. And her experience with him is him rocking up after the old tenant got murdered, which she was distraught about and being a complete dick to her and hassling her. And then she's just like, oh, this guy rocks up and I'm going to sleep with him. It's just. Yeah. And like, it's not even an angle. It's not even like this guy's shit. He's Mm. um, manipulating his power. The film is really weird with that as well. Yeah. She immediately goes to that oh, I can't be alone. I need this guy to take care of me sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know. She's just brought in as a character that just gets the shit end of the stick the whole film and the film ends with her in a shit situation. So it's like... But what's her conclusion? A new tenant moves in and he's like a seedy man. Oh, yeah. And nothing happened with that. And yeah, nothing happens with that. I mean, nothing happens with a lot in this film. (laughs) (laughs) We had a video game console that she seemed pretty chuffed about. Yeah, I know. Um... Yeah, um, also, it was pretty funny because I couldn't tell who was who in this film at the start. I couldn't tell the difference between... All the white guys look yeah, the same. <laughs> the white, blonde, muscly dudes. I couldn't tell the difference between Charlton, the bodyguard, and then the hit, the guy who ordered the hit. Yeah. Because they no, were different I characters, agree. weren't they? Yeah. And they're all walking around in these weird jackets in this greenhouse world. <laughs> yeah. There was no definition of who was who. Yeah. Anyway, this movie was really well received at the time. Really? Won awards as best sci-fi. Roger Ebert gave it three stars. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and you know, just your your episodic reminder hasn't happened as much because we haven't done old films. But Space Odyssey came out in '68. <laughs> this came yeah. out in '72, I think I said. Yeah. '73. So you have no excuses. Is essentially the punchline. Um, it's just weird that they were both sci-fis and they're just so different in scope and yeah. execution. Yeah, it's funny. It just, to me, it, like, because the concept is a real life concept and the way that it plays out just feels so different. Like the concerns of the people involved are so different from what we're actually experiencing in real life. It's really, that I find that part of it quite interesting. Mm. You know, there's, it doesn't, it's like, it, it was really just used as a, as a vehicle to do it. Like, cliche sci-fi dystopian situation you know what i mean it's just like it could have been anything that led to that the only kicker is just that big business 
betrays the little guy. That's the only thing that they hold through and mm. actually like mean something with, right? Mm. That it's a very vain film. What's it trying to say? Let's. I don't think it's trying to say anything. And like, this is what I mean. Like, you watch the trailer, and they're happy to give away every everything <laughs> apart from like what is Soylent Green, so that in the last five three minutes, you can hear him yelling. Silent Green is people. Yeah, which is a great, it's a great, <laughs> a great line. line. Iconic. This film felt very quotable, but the sad part about it was it was very forgettable at the same time. Yeah. So if you latched on to any of the quotes, like I messaged Nick saying, well, do you want to quote me on it? Because I, I sent it as soon forgotten. as I... See, I've forgotten it. But in the film, there's a lady who I think gets hit at some... Yeah, she definitely gets hit at some stage because... All the females get hit in this film. Yeah, our hero beats her up. And, yeah, we're supposed to be cool with that. Mm. Anyway, she's eating strawberries, and then uh, Thorn goes back home to his buddy, Sol, Sol, and says, we should get some strawberries. And Sol says... Who the hell needs strawberries? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is it him that says But he yells it. No, anyway. Or Thorn yells it or something. Someone yells it. Not the best story. Soylent Green, that is. (laughs) Um, The fact that... The the staircase is so populated, and yet he has like three chase scenes where there's nobody on the street. Yeah, <laughs> and the logic is that there's a curfew. Mm. So I wonder if that's just riding it in. So it's like, oh, here's why there's no one here because we couldn't get extras. Um, but there's plenty of extras. Okay, so like one really good, probably the best scene or one of the best scenes is this riot scene that happens, and it's kind of funny because this guy's a detective, and then all of a sudden someone's like, you know, you're on riot duty, and he's like, okay, <laughs> and. Like, his main drive in this film isn't ethical or moral. It's, it's just so weird because they undermine his case as well. It's like the reason he wants to solve it is because he says that everyone wants to be a cop. So it's a highly competitive job, right? Yeah. And then he... They tell him to drop it. Yeah. And, and he's like, he's I need to keep going it because I'm a cop and I believe in being a cop. And he also mentions that there's like 120 unsolved cases as well. And sure, I understand they're trying to say that, you know, we've people don't matter anymore because it's so overpopulated. But it's also just not done with any grace at all. Like, what's the point in trying to solve murders if you're genuinely going to give up a week later? Hmm. The only angle is that they should push him to solve the case because he's rich, and that would be a comment there. Yeah, but they don't because the rich people wanted him dead anyway. But the cop, the other guy wasn't even on it. Like, they didn't express that that's why he cared more about this case, but hmm. it was implied. Yeah. So he's just supporting the views that the rich are the ones that matter. Like, if anything, the story's more interesting if it's somehow about someone who's poor and discovers the secret or something like that. You and know? then they kill him. Yeah. And then he's like, you got to drop this case. People die all the time. And then he's like, no, this is important. Mm. That's the angle, right? Yeah. I think that he's his um, superior, the police commissioner or whatever he's called, mm. is... Very funny. <laughs> he, he plays like... I think he's Hatcher, Brock Peters. Yeah, it? Brock Peters, Hatcher. He's good. He, um, he's very funny. And, but they do this cop, cliche cop thing, which made me laugh while watching it, where like this guy's get, guy gets all his praise for being a good cop when he's a mediocre cop the whole film. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, you don't listen, but you're a good cop. <laughs> and it's like, what did he do? All he did was beat up women and well, like he, steal he shit. Yeah, so... <laughs> That's not even done well. Like, it's not a bad idea, but it's not done well. So, he goes to this apartment where the guy got murdered and he... Just loads up a pillowcase with shit from the apartment. Yeah, because the guy has 
steak. So he steals his steak, which is really expensive. And why is the woman sent with a bodyguard if she's just furniture and stuff? What do you mean? Like the bodyguard accompanies her when she goes shopping. Hmm. Why they care about her then? Or is it just because like... But he, the bodyguard went with her so they could murder him. The bodyguard was in on it, remember? Okay, yeah. Hmm. Was he not going to go? She was not going to go. She wasn't in on it. Yeah. And yeah, so the riot scene. She might as well have been in on it. Yeah. <laughs> the riot scene is definitely the best part of the film. Yeah. Um, it, the, we come to the scene where Sol is on the street lined up to buy some Soylent Green. And they've packed out, like they hired every extra for this one day. And it looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a market and everyone's lining up. And people are selling like all these different Soylent products mm-hmm. like soylent bread which is orange bread because mm-hmm. there's different colors of soylent as well and then they're lying out the front of the shop and then the head of the riot squad tells thorn hey we're, run out of yeah food. we're running out of soylent uh not sure what we're gonna do I'm, i'll work up the guts to do it and then he tells everyone and they riot predictably <laughs> <laughs> isn't there a better way to handle the impending riot when you tell everyone there's no Soylent Green. I don't know. And they're like, but it's Tuesday. <laughs> and Tuesday is Soylent Green Day. And then on top of it, did you say it said today is Soylent Green Day? Yeah. Um, it's sort of like, I don't really understand either because they're selling the people Soylent Green, but it's also their only choice. Like, wouldn't the but there, film... But been... there's also meant to be Soylent Orange and Soylent... Yeah, I think the blue. film had an opportunity to be like, we're replacing everyone's food with Soylent Green. You know, you like Soylent Red, but you got to come over to Soylent Green. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, why is everyone... Re- like, if Soylent Green is people and that's the most terrible thing in the world, then why is there a short supply of Soylent Green? Yeah, like, why even bother when you've got red and orange or whatever? And wouldn't it make more sense if they were, like, systematically, like, killing poor people or something like that and putting yeah. them into it? Like, that would be, like, mega, you know, rich people being evil sort of thing. And, like, everyone's you know, disposable. But them. they're not even like taking people's money, you know? It's not like they're conning the people. They well, are everyone, the... All everyone does is just sleep on stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're conning people in like the lowest way. It's like you're saying the only food supply is people. And I feel like just a tiny percent that people would be like, Fair it's enough. the only food supply. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're convincing me to... Like, it's not like they're going, buy Soylent Green so we can stockpile all the corn for our frittatas that we can eat mm. with the um, the rest of the Cooper family. Yeah. Interstellar, of course. I got the reference. Yeah. Just for the listeners. There's just a lot of missed opportunity in this film. And then at the end, when you do find out that Soylent Green is people, you it doesn't even make sense what it's trying to say. Mm. It's not even saying... Much. It just feels like... I mean, the fact it's that it's not in the book sake. is that it's just a twist for, for twist's sake, exactly. And it's funny, like, I'm watching this and going, like... Because the dialogue's not very good. Wow. So, I'm, a lot of the dialogue's ADR as well. Like, I noticed that, that there was, like, that, that scene where they, they were talking, right? They're walking around the apartment. Like, all of these lines were ADR. And then it would just keep popping up throughout the film. Because you'd hear her and she'd have this, like, normal 70s recording, like, little husk to it. You know, it's just like... Eh, meh, meh. And then when he spoke, he's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> well, what does ADR mean for people who don't? ADR... Uh, I can't remember. Uh, what, what does the, it stand um, for? Audio yeah. device recognition. Uh... Uh, something. It's it's where you re-record vocals because the audio you got on set was messed up. So a big one would be if you had a lapel mic, which is a wireless mic that you'd put in someone's shirt, and it's going crinkle, 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 and yet the other person's is fine. 
so you'd re-record it. Or if there was like a loud screech going on or, you know, feedback in the mic or something. You'd you'd bring them into the booth and you'd record I Am Queens Boulevard on yeah. loop. Um, Google that one if you don't understand. And yeah, so his mic now is so... Now there's a show that treats women he, right. <laughs> <laughs> his mic is so clearly overdubbed and it is really jarring. I don't know. I got to say, I did enjoy the 70s sound design like yeah. the kicks and stuff like that what about and like how cute it sounds when people are running down the street oh, the whole film <laughs> okay so there was a musical composer apparently because you don't hear much music in this film at all and the comment that someone who's into sound would say is that sound only became maximalist recently sound used to have a lot more space and you didn't have to put something everywhere and you didn't have to put music everywhere particularly um whereas you know um cinema these days tells you how to feel by the music very explicitly yeah and i couldn't i also was watching the end scene where there's a big chase scene thinking like this is a little bit no country for old men with no dialogue and just shooting and yeah late night scene and so i'm like maybe i can't make fun of it except the only sound you hear in the whole film is footsteps it's just like and they'll be doing something completely like where it's non so he'll go he goes to the plant where he finds out that soil green is people and, like, you just hear him go <laughs> around the whole set. Yeah. There's machines and stuff. And just their choice of... There's no, like, atmos of people in the crowd. Like, it just... <laughs> I feel like we have to go back to the riot scene. Yeah, we're trying give to it, get there. Give it its just it, its credit. Riot breaks out, and then they go, we're sending in the scoopers, <laughs> which are just, like, Tonka trucks. And he's one of the SWAT police, but he's not a very passionate SWAT policeman. Yeah. And the SWAT policemen get thrown through the windows besides him. Mm-hmm. Sorry, keep going. Oh, basically they send in these like dump... What are they, what are they called? Those scooper things. Yeah, those cat dig- diggers trucks or something. Yeah, basically where they scoop up dirt with the front thingy at the, on the truck. We're showing our lack of, I don't know, blue colonists or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they just scoop up people and fucking chuck them in the back <laughs> of the truck. And it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes for a great vigil. But if you think for it 10 seconds longer, it doesn't make sense. Because yeah. it's, like, it's not like the trucks are even big enough that people can't get out of the trucks. Mm. Sure, the idea would be that if you dump enough people, they're going to squash the bottom people. And like, essentially what it's trying to say is that people don't matter and the government doesn't care. But this care. is the thing. Like, if you think that solid green bean people is a big deal, but you're happy to do that, like, where do you think people are going when they're getting like, murdered in the back of a truck? Like, it's just such... Like, even, what's so lovable about it is the stunt. And there's also some good stunts throughout the film where it's like the 70s where you didn't have to care about it. Yeah, and people have fallen off the front of the truck. Because they're actually throwing people in the back of trucks. Yeah, it's very cool. And there's dudes hanging on by one arm and stuff. Um, Yeah. But it's fun. Like, can you imagine being an extra or whatever and they're just like, okay, this is what we're doing. And you're like, cool. And you're like, ah! (laughs) You break your arm and you get no workers claim. Yeah. Um, and then you get like possibly the worst assassination <laughs> attempt. It was funny. Like I he was laughing. It. He was like nailing everybody else. <laughs> so, like that when that a, woman gets shot in the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a dude running through a crowd pointing a gun. <laughs> and he headshots someone else. <laughs> and, no, I think it's also that he doesn't just headshot one. So if he shot one person then ran away, it makes sense, right? But he he's keeps like, trying to kill yeah, him. And he keeps just <laughs> so murdering they have this half life. scuffle where there's like five people between them and he's pointing a silenced pistol over people's shoulders and they're just going, Toom! and they're like, oh! <laughs> and it's like the amount of people who react to the gunshot is not enough. It's like, 
the immediate like three people around <laughs> the person who got murdered react and everyone else doesn't even notice. That, yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Like I know there's a riot going on, but it's someone shooting. It's different. Like, uh. And it's not even like this cop cares about people. You know, he doesn't care about the people who died in exactly. the attempt. He, he has no moral compass that... So it's like, yeah, why does he care about Soylent Green? Maybe it's the... He's got such a big ego that it's like the fact that he who has been shot and is about to die is going to be made into food. Like he can't stand that. But he can put up with all the other like tragedies of the world. Like yeah. doesn't it's think just, about it twice. Just bizarre. The uh, romance between him and Sol, that's all right. I, I, can, I can get around that. It's pretty funny. Um, he, that scene, we were watching the um, top 10 quotes from Soylent Green and he goes, I'm starting to not like you or something like that. And then Sol goes, but you love me. <laughs> And then that was quote number eight. I think it was pretty good quote. Yeah. A lot to learn from that. I, yeah. I don't know if I finished my point about the fact that given this is based off a novel, you feel like there'd be better dialogue in it. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. That's the, one of the, that's the seventh best quote from this podcast. Because it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> that you do watch that and you watch the top, what, who, what web YouTube um, channel uploaded that? It's called God Loves Movies. Not, mm. not sure. Interesting. Yeah. Because you just think that there'd be something... Uh, the, maybe the book is probably pretty good. You know, if the book is dealing with idea. this concept, which is obviously ahead of its time and taking something actually properly seriously, and it's about overpopulation and stuff, then it probably has something actu- something to say. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if old Harry Harrison wasn't a fan of the film. Or maybe he, he was. Say, he said he was 50% pleased because uh, he didn't get a say at all. Yeah. They didn't involve him. Yeah. Really seems like a butchering of whatever he was trying to do, mm. and it's not even like I think the thing that can mix this movie up in your head is that you go, it's the seventies, but there's a lot of good art that came before and around the seventies. Like that's considered modern times, the seventies, I'd say. Yeah, as you said, a lot of famous books were written in the seventies or before the seventies, and so it's not ridiculous to think that there's a really good book out there that's dealing with these concepts. Yeah, it makes me want to watch more old sci-fi films but and find the good ones yeah it's the sort of film that you would like in the canon of all these other sci-fi movies that you watch from that time you know what i mean where you would judge them against each other because like it just isn't that good by itself it's a weird exploitation film right because so just to quickly explain what exploitation is cue the music um exploitation music or what i don't know i'm about to do a film schooly sort of speech i guess yeah um. So, exploitation is cinema that is deliberately high concept, so stuff that is sure to grab attention and simple ideas. Um, exploitation is also, you can exploit a bunch of things, basically. You can exploit sex, violence, and race was a big one with exploitation cinema, which I'm not 100% sure if that's a PC term or not, so I apologize if that's offensive. Um, but basically it's where you like cash in on viewers knowing that they're coming for this one thing and not really focusing on the craft. So exploitation sex is just like how in the 70s they started showing naked women all the time because they're like, hey, we can do that now and people want to go see a B-grade movie and see mm-hmm. a bit of nudity and stuff. Yeah. Um, so this is like exploiting, <laughs> exploiting crime, uh, climate c- 
concerned people <laughs> by going, hey, we'll join with this, but not deliver on the premise at all. Because it's like, imagine someone pitched this and said, we should make a climate movie. And sure, they threw more money at more movies and was just like, you know, maybe it sticks sort of thing. But someone was passionate about this idea, which is sort of strange. I'd say environmentalism probably from the 70s was on the rise. Like, I think that as younger people, we have this assumption that environmentalism was, is, is like a new thing. You know what I mean? Which is not true. But I think that this is definitely an era where that was probably what was more on people's minds than maybe the climate crisis specifically. Yeah, so explain that. I think you might have referenced it in that earlier episode, but like the difference between environmentalism and climate concern. Ah, I think that I was just talking, when I was talking about it on First Reformed, I was talking about how climate change is more of a macro issue versus like a kind of, it's an issue that you can't see and can't individually deal with or whatever. And basically my point was like that there was, you know, specific politicians who were like, oh yeah, all the people in my electorate are really good environmentally. They go out and they, you know, kill cane toads or whatever and they, you know, replant trees and shit like that. And, but then like they'll, and then that's like good enough. Like it doesn't matter that we have, you know, a coal-fired power plant or something like that. It was basically what I was getting at. But I mean, here I'm, I guess I'm just more saying that I think that it's not like no one knew that there was global warming. There was the hole in the ozone in Australia, right? People didn't not know that there was consequences for their action and consequences for like, you know, mass capitalism and consumerism, right? But it's just weird that it's that specific and that it's 20, I don't know, something about it being 2022 and us being so very close to being fucked, if not already over the line of being fucked, that made this feel like it was going to blow my mind and then it didn't seem to really care about the actual subject material, I guess is what I'm trying to, is, is the issue, is that it was just another scene setter for this thing that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so it has like good ratings on the internet, like I think 66 or something on Metacritic and seven on IMDb. And then I read the comments on the YouTube trailer and they're like, oh, I was so spooked when I saw this trailer or this movie, mm. you know, and I can... I guess I can imagine that this movie would be memorable and I could imagine that maybe it is iconic if you saw it because it wouldn't be like anything else that existed. So let's give it a little bit of credit that um, I suppose it does have very strong visuals and the reason that we didn't connect with it is a little more pretentious that we're like saying it's not like we're we're saying you didn't deal with the ideas good enough. Yeah, which is (laughs) a bit hard. Yeah, Yeah. considering that it as you've we've sort of dance around but like it was a less refined area of discussion mm. you they were still going against the norm of plot and then concept yeah it's just weird because there was also like, i think but i think the problem is not that about ideas of climate change and all that sort of stuff that we care about now it's more just like your lead character gave no fucks about anyone but himself you know what i mean and it also failed as a plot like yeah. the plot itself doesn't really make sense i kept watching thinking that we're about to click over to the part where it made sense. Mm -hmm. But his motivation followed by his relationship with, what was her name again? God, we're not doing very well either. We don't even know her name. Uh, Sheryl. Sheryl? Sheryl's just an odd... I mean, all of the character names are a bit weird. Thorn, Sheryl, Tab. Tab. (laughs) (laughs) Hatcher. Kulazik? The priest. The priest! What a weird unit. I don't understand what they were well, saying. Well, he was obviously tormented by knowing the Solent Green knowledge. 
Oh, he. Ah, oh, because that's okay. why they killed yeah. him. So the pre- premise is that he is phased out because he knew the truth. He gets murdered by the body, but then he's like ruined by it. Yeah. Okay. He's freaking the fuck out. Yeah. But it's it's weird because it's like, is the idea that Soylent Green is people the corrupting thing to your mind in this whole universe that exists? You know what I mean? Like. If we're going, like, you know, we've seen First Reformed and I feel like a priest, like, losing his mind over the destruction of the, the, the earth by people who are apparently believe in God and, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's so much worse, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's what doesn't make sense. The fact that you're so far down the line that... Yeah, this film jumps in too late, essentially. Yeah. It's not jumping in when there's decisions to be made. The decisions have been made. Like, it's not saying... We're poisoning the last reservoir or we're like doing something that could be stopped. It's already too far gone, sort of. So the dramatic suspense isn't really there. Cool set, so. It's interesting. <laughs> like mm. the streets where he goes and finds the guy in the car is pretty cool. Like at the start where he finds the assassin. Mm-hmm. I was full on ready to be like, I was really hopeful that it was going to be a classic and be like, oh, this is so cool. But then, yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah. I think. I had a, have a thought, and you got to tell me whether this is something you agree with. Sure. Is that the ending to me felt like a Chinatown ripoff? Oh yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah. So the film ends with this guy getting shot and yelling, "Soylent Green is people, Soylent Green is people," and then it ends, which to me feels quite similar to the end of Chinatown, where spoilers. Oh, sorry. Just warning. If you haven't seen it, it's been 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) It's your fault. What year did Chinatown come out? 1974. That's after this. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I had this vibe that I could just like imagine someone having seen Chinatown and seen that ending and going like, okay, I can end my film like that. Well, in Chinatown, they're like, I was reading about it and the director was saying, I don't know if it was Polanski. It might have been Polanski or someone. Maybe, no, the script writer, maybe. He'd, I think the scriptwriter didn't want it to end like that, mm-hmm. but then Polanski did, or some mix-up of that. Mm-hmm. And but then they're like, you're not going to remember. Like the thing that's going to make this film memorable and iconic is having that ending. Yeah. So you can see how you do a dire ending as like a memorable thing, and it obviously worked. If there's people on YouTube going, oh, I remember seeing this film. Well, it's interesting, right? Because. I think what makes the ending of Chinatown way more effective is that they tie like a lot more threads together and it does actually kind of say something bigger than this film. Yeah. Because Chinatown, it's like, this is like what you're fighting against things that you, you know, you'll never win against. And it's always, it's always going to be this this brutal, you know what I mean? And this one, it's kind of like, well, no, no one's fighting against anything. This guy's just a selfish dick who... Well, I'm not, I was just so surprised you don't even meet the heads of Soylent Green or anything like that. Like, who's his enemy? Who's his singularized enemy? Is it the bodyguard? Yeah. Or the, like, and he gets some, lays some punches on the bodyguard and beats him up a bit. Yeah, the fight scenes in this are pretty funny. Yeah, they're um, good. Like, the kicks make people fly away. And then, like, someone... He gets kicked in the nuts, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> and then he returns with a kick in the face, or yeah. he gets kicked in the nuts after kicking someone in the face. Like, they actually made me laugh, because I think he comes sailing in from off screen as well. <laughs> it's not like they're doing this karate thing where they're showing down in both instants. He just comes flying in with a karate kick. Yeah. Yeah, there's no bigger picture in this, even though it's acting like there is. So, maybe here's an exercise. How do we fix this film? Yeah, let's do that. Because, look, we've already talked about what we didn't like. I think we've been pretty clear. We've talked about what we did like. 
unless you have anything else that you particularly liked about it. Actually, I do have something I, I liked about it. The scene where Soul goes and gets euthanized is really yeah, good. Cool. Yeah. And that is the best. I know I said the right scene was the best, but this is the actual best. And this is the most that feels like a good sci-fi moment. It's saying something, yeah. Yeah. So Soul finds out the truth about Solent Green. Solent Green is people, if you haven't heard. And goes to the center. What about when he meets with the old librarian gang? Yeah. <laughs> There's like They're a bunch of Ruth a Bader Ginsburg's. <laughs> Just like we knew. <laughs> but you must prove it. And then it's funny because then our, our leading man is like, I have proof. I saw it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that doesn't do. Like, <laughs> if everyone else already knew about this and can read it in a book, why is like you seeing it? Yeah. Better evidence. Anyway, so, so good old soul goes to get, finds out the truth and then goes to get euthanized because. He can't handle it. It's too traumatic. And yeah, and so like the way they, they do it Which is... Which is probably fair. Yeah. He, he has a good relationship with Soylent Green where it's like, I can see why he, as an older person, is willing to throw in the towel at that moment. Yeah. And so he goes to this euthanizing center and they lay him down on the bed, get him to drink some wine, which is probably poison. And they play all these beautiful like nature scenes on the screen and play this classical music. And it, like, really looks really good, you know? Well, it looks special effects because I think that's the one thing they predicted right, that screens would get bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like... But it feels like a 2001 sort of moment, I think. Yeah. But it's just, like, the, the grand scope the, and the, the classical music, music it, yeah. yeah. But it's pretty good and the closest the movie gets to it being, like, emotionally poignant, I would say. Well, so Charlton was quite moved while filming it. And the reason why is the actor who plays Soul, Edward G. Robinson, was terminally ill. He died oh. 10 days after, 10 or 12 days after the film finished shooting. That's so interesting. It's like a pretty big moment for him. Yeah. And he's like, I told you it was beautiful. And he's like, how could I ever know? So he's living that scene, which is pretty full on. Yeah. And like that, I, you, do, you do feel that a little bit, I think. The only real part where the emotion actually kind of comes across. But it's like a really well shot scene and cool conceptually and is a big tick, I would say. It's interesting, and it also makes you think, like, one part that is working is this whole thing where Charlton doesn't, he's, like, late 30s or however old he's meant to be and doesn't know the things that we know now. Mm. And he's like, oh, you know, like, he, he doesn't know nature and soul's always going, oh, it was beautiful, I tell you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you can't, and that's, that's going to be a thing. That's real. That already is real. Like, there's that. The last David Attenborough documentary that he put on Netflix and there's, it goes through his career and shows a bunch of different shit and will like take his different documentary or uh, sorry, take like the statistics of like percentage of wildlife population and stuff like that and compare it to different parts in his life. And you can't help but feel like it's really sad because on one, you're feeling like this sort of sympathy for him because it's like he's literally seen it like disappear, you know, exponentially over his lifetime. And he has... He's like the luckiest person in the world because he's got to live in a time where he can be sent on these journeys to film it, showing people his new worlds and all that mm. sort of stuff. And clock and, out before it's... And, but, and, but as he's doing it, you know, that's all disappearing as well. So, it, yeah, it did make... That kind of concept in this film, I think, is kind of good and probably one of the, the good, not moral points, but, you know, thematic, existential yeah. thematic points that it actually does make. Because... You know, even our generation, every generation going forward is just going to get less and less of what the, the planet used to be, which is so incredibly sad, you know what I mean? Mm. And there's, 
Yeah, nothing you can do about that. Damn. Yeah, well, we had a deep moment. Existential partism. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That, I don't know. I wasn't expecting to actually feel, even though this film is supposed to make you feel, I guess. But, yeah. So how do we make this film better? Let's... All right. Or do you want some trivia? I got two Let's get some trivia, trivia and then we'll do how we can make it better. So, a custom cabinet unit of the early arcade game Computer Space was used in Soylent Green and is considered to be the first video game appearance in a movie. You would have thought that bit of trivia came up when we were talking about it. Forgot that I had it listed <laughs> so thoroughly. Um, the chase scene, this is a weird one, and these are directly from IMDb, so thanks to IMDb. The chase scene during the climax has no dialogue because the writer didn't want it to become an action movie. A clause in the film's contract said no dialogue could be added or edited, so they made the entire chase silent. That is weird. Very weird. So they made it an action movie. That's why... <laughs> yeah. If there's no dialogue, it's even more action movie. Because yeah. Because it's emphasizing the action. Mm. That's where they go... Yeah, just And then he runs into a bin. I know. Pretty funny. Yeah. Okay. How can we improve this? Um... Do you have some ideas on the top of your head? Okay, film it 10 years later and put Harrison Ford as okay, the lead. good start, yep. Remove every sexist undertone and blatant sexist moment on the screen. Yes, okay, so simple one, but they could have handled it in the 70s. <laughs> make, help, uh, make Cheryl a part of him solving the mystery. Yeah. She needs she her, some... her knowledge, her relationships to the other higher-ups. Mm. Pretty simple stuff. Get someone to come into the apartment who says a bit of info that she wasn't supposed to hear. Yeah. Easy. Easy fix. Yeah, maybe she, come along. He, maybe she... Yeah, she should come along. She maybe mentions the bodyguard's connection or discovers the bodyguard's connection. Yeah. What about when he calls the, the office and then a bunch of gangs, gang members show up and start chasing him like with no context at all? He's getting tailed, but... Six dudes come out from different spots. I did th- like the way that looked when it happened. When it's like, yeah. It yeah. felt like a 50s kind of breakdance fight scene. Yeah, beat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or um, bad or whatever. All right. Wait, what else you got? Centralize the big business to one figurehead. Or at least, or at least a board of people. Board, or yeah. some people making decisions. There's no human yeah. decision, humanness behind it. Which maybe is more powerful and realistic than we ever understood but uh it doesn't work on screen yeah and i would say along that kind of just like work out what you're trying to say then like what is the message yeah is it don't trust big business is it we got to look out for each other is it stop the impending climate crisis i don't know he kind of gets away with a lot as a cop as well yeah and i would just say make him at least 50 percent less of a dick yeah and shit bloke. Like, make me actually believe Make him in... save a kid or something? Well, he picks up that kid from next to his dead mother <laughs> and brings him into the, the church. Yeah, and throws him at the <laughs> Throws the him nurse. at a nun. So yeah, like... nun. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I think... He should have saved the kid from the dump truck or something like that. How hard could that have been? I think you can still have the twist, right? Because obviously what stuck with people is the twist. So... You know what else I wondered if it influenced? Do you remember the Futurama episode? Hmm. Where they're like addicted to this soft drink and it all comes Slurm. from the giant, yeah, the giant Slurm? slug. Yeah, I remember that so vividly. Yeah, and like, so that's why I'm giving this film credit because I rem- we remember that. No, and- but that's a Willy Wonka ripoff. 
What's Willy Wonka twist? It's not a twist, but it's the fact that they go to the slurm factory and it's like plays out like Willy Wonka. Yeah. And I, it's funny, like I remember being young and that being one of my favorite Futurama episodes and then finding the end so really disgustingly gross that it kind of threw it off for me. Yeah. Um, and how many Futurama episodes did you have that I'm were your sure, I don't have many off the top of my... I, I can't remember them off the top of my head. The ones I remember are that and the one where his dog is waiting for him. Yeah, that's the famous one. Um, But I'm sure we watched plenty. Yeah, well, we didn't like it as much as Simpsons. Yeah, but you know, I feel like it would have aged well. It seemed like the Thinking Man's cartoon, mm. as opposed to Family Guy and Simpsons. Ah, yeah. So I was just basically saying that you can have your twist. You don't need to get rid of your twist if you want to keep that, but you just need to like bring some of the ideas together so that when the twist happens, you feel the sense of despair that this guy is feeling, and it makes sense contextually, so that it's like when he gets killed or when he finds it out, he's going, oh, this is why this is happening. This is why this is happening. I, I'm literally powerless in this world. Because he, in this film, he is already just powerless. and Everyone's powerless. Everyone's powerless. And then he is a person who will take advantage of people and do whatever just to get a little bit more. So it's like, it, it's just hard to believe that there's any like shocking thing that happens to him or revelation because it's like you're just going out and You've already accepted that it's dog-eat-dog world out there. So you finding out that it's a human-eat-human world isn't really that big of a deal. I'm still kind of latching onto my own idea that it should have come at the transitional phase where people were being told to eat Soylent Green. It should have been, we've ran out of this, have some Soylent Green. And then he's like, no, don't eat the Soylent Green. Because in theory, you could still live a happy life in this world Mm. if you like had your family values and you know, maybe human company and you've got a steady booting flow because they're still traders at the market. So they've still got food, the people making it. But that doesn't make sense because you, why, if you're a trader, like why would you even trade? Like what are you going to buy? More Soylent Green? <laughs> yeah. The economy in this world is cool. I guess you, bu- you, try and get a, you get an apartment. Or you try and get a strawberry or something. Treat yourself. But then what do people... There wasn't, it wasn't made clear how people had money to spend anyway. Um, I think they could have lent into like a a class thing a bit more and been like, there's the people who live on the streets and there's the people who live in the apartments, which was implied, but it wasn't fleshed at all. Yeah. But they, uh, you know, the way that they treat the people who live on the street is just that they're in the way and they're yeah. the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, which is ethically questionable because I don't think you realistically respond to overpopulation which is a real issue that we have by chucking people in the back of the truck <laughs> and turning them into food like um i liked the um the hitman being apologetic at the start mm. being about to kill yeah the guy. what happened to him did he was did he come back and no he got squashed by the that's the him truck. yeah okay all these white people look the same like <laughs> 70s folks all the same they he all... had a good look as well the vest with no shirt yeah, he, he better that steampunk aesthetic right? yeah yeah, yeah. I don't know. Those are enough ideas to sort of fix it, right? <laughs> Let's just get this over with. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we shouldn't drag it out too much. I know. I feel like we've done better than I... We've gone longer than I thought we would go yeah, with this. I show. thought you thought that we'd have a long one. But yeah, I never didn't think... I didn't see the potential after watching this movie. Well, it's interesting. This is notable because it's the first pod movie we haven't really liked. Yeah. But um, a worthwhile exercise. It was. I think watching 70s movies is really cool. I think it's a good check on society. It's a good check on like what people value and stuff, but also 
how far filmmaking has come and just reminding us that A24 was <laughs> the game changer. You also just have to do this thing where like, people did know better than we think that they did know. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yes. Being decent isn't a new concept, basically. So I think that you can just, when you compare it to a few other things in the time period, you just go, yeah, this doesn't really do it. But you can also, we can also appreciate why it was memorable. I think that, that twist would have been pretty big. That was probably the Fight Club before Fight Club. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and probably had a bunch of men like latching onto the wrong message and being like, how good is this? Women of furniture. <laughs> yeah, we got to savor it while we can. Have an our steak. Even the fact they're eating beef. It's just like, yeah, I was like, not for me, son. <laughs> yeah, using all those. Give me that Coles tofu. Well, and then they, the world they, okay, the world they build is actually pretty cool. Like, the, I like how there's the, the shelter with the one tree. Yeah, that's, that's cool. cool. And also the fact that he says, you can't go to the farms, they're heavily guarded. So what's happening at the farms? Is New York just fucked or is the whole world cooked? I don't know. And this is kind of like, like possibility that in the future where we have to deal with, you know, the, the climate issues mm. that we do have to heavily concentrate people to keep them away from fucking up nature. Do you know what I mean? So it's like... Who knows? Yeah. That part of it, I'm like, hmm, okay. Well, what if it's like you frame it a bit differently? If you imagine there's this world that maybe the point is that New York has turned into a third world country, but then there's still other world countries around the world. I don't know. It's the same thing we said about Interstellar, where it was like America was the only place that mattered. Yeah. I guess you do have to eventually pick your scope. Hmm. Um. I'd, I would have liked to see outside of New York in this film, though. Would have been cool. Like, even if the Soylent Green board was in Chicago or something like that. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but just would have been... I just... Because the world... The concept's still really interesting and cool, you know? Um, I don't know. All right. Yeah, that's the timer. That's the timer. <laughs> yeah, I will just say that... The way that it's phrased in that Soylent Green is people is just a funny way Hilarious. of saying that sentence. It's so funny. Like, if someone said Soylent Green is people, I would be like, okay. You wouldn't even know? You wouldn't know what they mean. <laughs> is he... Like, because he's going out on a stretcher as well. It's just like, oh, the poor guy. He thinks Soylent Green is people. Yeah. <laughs> he's dying. Yeah. All right. Um, we already said... What I we... love how he beats up... Sorry. God, we just... can't even wrap this up. Okay. Things I liked and I'll say it. Well, I was going to skip that, but let's do it. What okay. did I like? I liked that he went to the power plant and got in a fight with dudes working at the <laughs> the the Soylent Green factory. Why are they so proud about Soylent Green that they need to protect the secret? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did I like? I liked the street scenes that were overpopulated rather than the underpopulated ones. Mm -hmm. I liked some of the set design. I like seeing 70s visions of the future. Very cool. Mm -hmm. We need to do Alien. Alien's awesome. And I have way too much affection for a film that I haven't seen that many times. Alright. Um, what didn't I like? Pretty much everything else. Um, nah. <laughs> my, my biggest hate is... My biggest hate definitely has to be the way that women are in this film. Like, that just triggers me. Yeah. It's so annoying and so rude and so wrong. Like, females were important people in 70s screenwriters' lives, I imagine. Mm. And yet, they just can't seem to fathom that you should write a woman that's... It's not even like missing the boat and trying to make her empowered and then just like doing it accidentally offensively. It's like, yeah, exactly. I don't know. 
You can't tell me that guys were obsessed with guys and stuff. Guys Maybe it's a mark. Obsessed with guys. Oh, you can't tell me you're like, oh, how cool's this thorn guy? I'm gonna write this guy who I'd love to be my friend. Yeah, I think it's people going like, okay, we want the the person that guys want to be, and he's badass. And this is like that's why they copy and paste that you're you're a good cop dialogue into this film, even though it makes no sense, you know. Thomas is misplaced as Rambo's speech at the end of First Blood. Rambo hate. Yes. Let's do Rambo so you can shit can it. Did you write an essay on it? I wrote a big review on oh, it. Oh, a review, just a review? Yeah, I think it's in um, the... It's a special feature in um, Dancing Baby. Wait, when, let's drop Dancing Baby. I don't know what that is. Anyway. Or four listeners. What, 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 <laughs> so you didn't like the women... Um, I didn't like the, the fact that... I, like, it doesn't really have a good through line. It just misses. It could have had an easy through line, which is the plot, but then it's still just... The wait, like, for a detective movie, there's not really any leads till like, right at the end. All right. What would you rate? What are you going to give it? Mm. You know what you're going to give it first? Soylent Green is... <laughs> uh, I'll give it a two. Yeah. Soylent Green is two stars. <laughs> it's the twist. <laughs> what is Soylent Green I've in been the shot. <laughs> Soylent Green! It's two stars. Yes, there we have it. Um, all right. So thanks for tuning in to this weird episode. Unique episode. Um, remember to fight the climate crisis. Yeah, cut down on your waste. Um, so what are you plugging? What are you plugging? I'm today? plugging Kong vs. Godzilla. Yes, big plug. And the inevitable plug. Buy tickets, save the, save the cinemas, go to see <laughs> Kong vs. Godzilla. Yeah, in IMAX if you can. That's, that's don't buy GameStop, <laughs> don't buy AMC, buy Kong vs. Godzilla tickets. They're going to be worth a lot in three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, uh, follow. I feel like it's been a good week productive-wise for, for me at least. So you'll, there'll probably be some good brother music or something mm, coming out very soon. It hasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tell, tell one person about the pod. If you, if you Here's listen. your challenge. Yeah. Four people who click on this one. Yeah, if you tell one more of uh, eight listeners and, you know... You know, Ego Hour, Ego Hour is people. It's about community. Ego Hour is community. That's what we should change the theme of this pod to. Was that not a deliberate reference when you said Ego Hour, Ego yeah. hour is people? All yeah. right, sorry. Okay, Ego hour anyway, is follow me on Instagram at I'm Good Brother. Follow me on Letterboxd at I'm Good Brother. Follow Tom on Letterboxd at Little Silky. Little Silky. Little Silky. Follow him on Instagram. Probably won't follow you back because it's a private account. Little Silky Official. Yeah, tell a friend. This has been... Well, it hasn't really been a classic, <laughs> it's but been, yeah. it's been a ride. Have a good one. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in, tell us who's done. Another antique shipwreck you spun. It's a Friday or a Tuesday.